For us 1.5 plus generation Asians, I think there's so much value in really working towards owning our cultural identities and being proud of where we come from. Hello and welcome to Holding Heritage. This is a space to explore and have honest conversations around the Asian North American experience. We'll focus on Canadian refugee stories, family, heritage, and bridging generational gaps. My name is Holly. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, today is April 30th, 2021. Here in Canada, April 30th marks Journey to Freedom Day, which is, I quote, a national day of commemoration of the exodus of Vietnamese refugees and their acceptance in Canada after the fall of Saigon and the end of the Vietnam War. In today's episode, especially with Asian Heritage Month here in Canada just around the corner, I want to share some information about Journey to Freedom Day, also known to many as Black April or Reunification Day. I'll also share some more in-depth information on the hundreds of thousands of refugees known as the Boat People, whom my parents and families were a part of. Before we jump into that and why this day of commemoration is significant to me and my family, I first want to open up a little bit about some of my own personal experiences around exploring my cultural identity as a second-generation Chinese-Canadian with Chinese-Vietnamese refugee parents and family members. I haven't ever really been one to publicly talk about things like my growth or relationship with my culture and family, and initially I felt that sharing my experiences about exploring my cultural background might be a sort of voiceless speech into a huge void, but with starting Holding Heritage, beginning to find and learn more about my cultural identity has been such a huge part of why I started this project in the first place and why I'm so passionate about it. So I do want to share, and I hope that perhaps parts of it might resonate with anyone out there. So to start, a little bit about me is, I was born and raised here in Canada. Both my parents' families are ethnically Chinese, but they grew up and lived in Vietnam their entire lives before fleeing as refugees in the late 1970s. So at home, they speak both Cantonese and Vietnamese, we eat both Chinese and Vietnamese food, and they tell me and recall stories of both Chinese and Vietnamese customs and traditions. In my experience as a Chinese Canadian who grew up in a predominantly Caucasian town, I grew up wanting to be white. I wanted very little to do with my culture and unfortunately, like many other second gen Asians, I grew up slightly ashamed of my ethnic background and I rejected a lot of it because I wanted to fit in. This definitely isn't new, and we've all heard and experienced ourselves stories like being embarrassed of our Asian lunches when we went to school, or of our parents being overly controlling or strict. I really never thought that cultural identity was that important or defining growing up, and quite honestly, I believed that I could and would most likely go about my entire life without really looking much deeper. I grew up with the mindset of, I'm whitewashed, I'm a banana, and I'm not Asian enough, or even going through school and hearing comments from my Caucasian friends reinforcing things like, yeah, you're basically white anyways. 
And at the time, I was proud of that. And I felt that being completely westernized, accepted, or assimilated was ideal and ultimately the main defining identity that I wanted. I even remember feeling out of place when I would go to Vancouver to visit family, where there's a much larger and normalized community of Asians. And even moving to Vancouver for university, I found myself struggling to feel like I fit anywhere because I felt this sort of in-between, like not Asian enough or not white enough. And I also felt that I wasn't able to decide where I wanted to fit in either because at that time, Belonging and identity to me felt like a very black and white concept, like I had to choose one or the other. But as I've grown older, learned more, and gotten more curious and in touch with myself and what's important to me, I'd say that my mindset on all of this has drastically expanded and changed. And the reality of my identity and situations are that even though I may have perhaps inside myself felt like I was white or westernized or Canadian or whatever, the obvious truth was that I wasn't and that it was and is just one portion of my identity. Other pieces that have taken me much longer to own and feel proud of are things like I am Asian, I am Chinese, my parents are refugees, my family is ethnically Chinese but grew up in Vietnam, so we eat both foods, we speak both languages, etc, etc, all while also being Canadian. So the layers of complexities continue to stack. I think as a child growing up too, my parents and families, not to their faults at all because they were navigating the same sorts of complexities, they didn't have the vocabulary or knowledge to sit down and have a conversation with me, my brother, or other cousins about ethnicity or culture or identity. And I do think that a portion of this comes from Asian culture in general. It's not super common to even discuss things of that nature, and a lot of the time, What's built into the culture is a sort of keep your head down, do what it takes to blend in and be accepted, and don't rock the boat. So that sort of container of mindset to grow up in as a second gen Asian, at least for me, was confusing to try to work out on my own, and still is a bit today, trying to balance and discern where I want to and feel comfortable fitting in, as opposed to where I think I should fit in because I want people to like me or see me in a certain way. Also, watching my parents as refugees work so hard in learning and doing business in a second language spoke a lot to me subconsciously as a kid, and seeing how other people interacted with them, naturally they were treated different in many ways, and I think that for me, when I was young, I was especially scared of that, and I didn't want to be seen as different or weird or out of the ordinary. And this has obviously still stuck with me to a certain extent today, but it's a process that I'd guess almost everybody in the world, regardless of ethnicity or background, is working through as well. And this is because embracing and becoming curious about the complexities and aspects of ourselves that make us different or unique or out of the regular fitted boxes of society can feel terrifying. And I think it's also hard work that takes effort, thought and intention. It can open ourselves up to potential judgment or critique from other people and groups, and that can also feel intimidating. So in many ways, it's easier to just lump ourselves into the nearest defining identity that feels safe, acceptable, or easy, but perhaps at the cost of not actually feeling like we really completely belong or relate. 
So I'm here right now after quite a bit of self-exploration to start holding heritage because in the process of learning more about my cultural identity, I've come to realize that Chinese Vietnamese heritage resonates most for me. And I want to make a space for myself, my family, friends, and the other thousands and thousands of families and people out there that may also feel the same way. So for me as a second gen Asian, with my parents having been refugee boat people, I of course spent so much of my time researching and learning more about the boat people and the enormous diaspora. This is where Journey to Freedom Day becomes significant to me. So before I get into my personal thoughts and feelings on the day of commemoration, let me give you some brief information about what it symbolizes to many. April 30th, 1975 marked the day that North and South Vietnam were reunited under the control of the Communist North government, the day that Saigon fell. American troops evacuated out of Vietnam, bringing an end to the Vietnam War and triggering the first wave of refugees to flee the country. For many from South Vietnam, April 30th is referred to as Black April and is a day of mourning, loss, and painful memories, felt as the day that they lost their country. For many others, it's seen as a day of celebration, peace, independence, and unification. So in terms of Journey to Freedom Day here in Canada, in 2015, Canada's first senator originally from Vietnam, Mr. Ngo Thanh Hai, was able to get a bill passed as the Journey to Freedom Day Act, intended to be, I quote, to remember and commemorate the lives lost and the suffering experienced during the exodus of the Vietnamese people, the acceptance of Vietnamese refugees in Canada, the gratitude of Vietnamese people to the Canadian people and government of Canada for accepting them, and the contributions of Vietnamese Canadian people to Canadian society. So first of all, I want to elaborate on some of the details about the refugees. Following the end of the Vietnam War in 1975, between then and 1977 was the first wave of refugees to flee the country. Of them were many military personnel, educated professionals, and supporters of the U.S. and South Vietnamese government. The second and largest wave fled in 1978 to 79. They differed largely in socioeconomic status, a vast majority of them being of ethnic Chinese background. This was due to the increasing tensions between China and Vietnam and their fallout in 1979, which fostered a very anti-Chinese atmosphere. This resulted in many ethnic Chinese being singled out for persecution. This is the group my parents and families were a part of. The third wave of refugees fled in the late 1980s and early 90s. So of all of these waves, a large majority of the refugees fled by boats and ships and are known as the refugee boat people. There were approximately 840,000 refugee boat people. They fled Vietnam to different countries of first asylum in other parts of Southeast Asia, like China, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, and Thailand. This is where they stayed in refugee camps, and from there, those who were able to were resettled in more developed countries. Significant numbers resettled in the U.S., Canada, Italy, Australia, France, West Germany, and the U.K. 
In my case, both my mom and dad's immediate families were sponsored to Canada in the early 1980s. I also have some family on my dad's side that were sponsored to the UK. So this year, 2021, marks about the 41st year that my families have been in Canada and the UK. During the exodus of the boat people, the UNHCR, which is the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, estimates that at least 250,000 refugees lost their lives at sea during their journeys. Of course, in reality, we really have no solid idea of the exact number of lives lost, so many of them to tragic events like drowning, starvation, piracy, kidnapping, illness, extreme violence, the list goes on and on. I'm sure if you're like me and have talked with your parents or elders about any part of their refugee boat journeys, among the first things they'll tell you is that it was full of so many hardships. It took so much bravery and strength for them, and I'm beyond grateful for my elder generation sacrifices that has provided me with the incredible opportunities I have today, like sitting here and recording this podcast. I'm also so grateful that both my parents' entire families were generously sponsored here to Canada. Many other families were split up and separated when being sponsored, and many even not being able to find sponsors at all. So without the kindness and care of the many sponsor families, Canadian charities, religious groups, and other non-governmental organizations, we wouldn't be here today. Canada accepted approximately 200,000 Vietnamese, Chinese Vietnamese, Cambodian, and Laotians as refugees, the highest rate per capita in relation to other nations. Because of this, in November of 1986, Canada was awarded the Nansen Medal by the UNHCR. So when I learned that Journey to Freedom Day was indeed a national day of commemoration here in Canada, I was pleased that it was being recognized, and although many of the 1.5 generation refugees and families may feel or remember it as a day of loss and mourning, for me and my family, I personally see it as a day of gratitude and recognition of my family's strength, resilience, and incredible importance of what they have accomplished and built here in Canada for my generation and generations to come. I really hope that moving forward, I can continue to honor and celebrate this year after year. My second thoughts and feelings following that though were that in my research and reading of documentation on the boat people like my parents and families, especially government sources like about Journey to Freedom Day, the use of Vietnamese refugees is often used as the main term, which for me kind of sparks a feeling of a potential lack of recognition because of the refugee diaspora, an estimated 60 to 70% of these refugees fleeing from Vietnam were ethnic Chinese groups. This was, again, largely due to the anti-Chinese atmosphere in Vietnam following the fallout between China and Vietnam. In other words, if you were ethnically Chinese in Vietnam at the time, most likely you were being forced to leave and often shunned by the native Vietnamese residents, even if they had been your friends. In many of the refugee camps in Asia holding the refugee boat people, many had to have separate areas to keep the Vietnamese and Chinese from fighting. These types of stories I'd heard firsthand from my parents and families, as well as many other stories that really highlight the racism that they faced for being ethnically Chinese in Vietnam, even before the war. So this really made me think that the important distinction between Vietnamese and Chinese Vietnamese may be really necessary. 
Also, my family, as well as many other Chinese Vietnamese refugee families, are very specific and articulate about teaching their children, like my brother and I and our generation, that we're not Vietnamese, we're Chinese. However, on the other hand, when it comes to native people from China or Hong Kong, we are also not the same as those groups of Chinese people. I remember growing up, there were other refugee families that we came to know, their kids being similar ages to me who I grew up with, many of whom I'm still friends with. I would go to their houses or interact with their families and sometimes there would be slight differences in the dialects they would speak, but they would still identify as Chinese refugees from Vietnam, same as my family. I didn't know how to make sense of the slight differences back then. Things like this added to the layers of complexities and challenges when it came to owning my cultural identity and feeling of belonging when I was young. Even while older, I feel that sometimes attending events or functions centered around specifically Chinese culture or specifically Vietnamese culture, although super enjoyable, didn't particularly sit right with me either in terms of feeling like I totally related or belonged. I still felt a sort of divided sense of self. One book that has helped me a lot in learning more about distinguishing between Vietnamese and Chinese Vietnamese within the overall refugee diaspora is The Chinese Vietnamese Diaspora Revisiting the Boat People, edited by Yu Kua Chan, a volume that is part of the Rutilage Contemporary Asia series. If you're at all interested like I am, I highly recommend reading it. I have linked the book in the show notes at holdingheritage.com. It's from this book that I started to more deeply dive into the details of the ethnic Chinese groups in Vietnam. Chinese Vietnamese refers to groups of ethnic Chinese people who lived, built their lives, oftentimes grew up in Vietnam, and held on to many, if not all, aspects of their Chinese heritage. There were three main groups of ethnic Chinese within Vietnam, the Hua people, Ngai people, and San Diu people. The majority speak a dialect of Cantonese, Ngai, sometimes Hakka, and other village languages derived from or similar to Cantonese. Learning this completely made sense of those slight differences in dialects in different families that I noticed when I was younger. The ethnic Chinese is the group of people my own family fall under, of course, which is why I'm excited to share more about it and explore further in future episodes. I've also had very interesting conversations with my parents about the exact topic, and I encourage you to do so as well with your own families if it's relevant, because I do think it's a topic in which they're pretty particular about, and it really sheds light on the importance of the distinction. Learning more about the Vietnamese and Chinese Vietnamese has really provided me with a better sense of belonging and self-identity when it comes to my ethnicity and heritage. It's also helped me so much in talking further with other second gen friends and family members in the same cultural position about it. And in my experience, we all seem to feel very similarly in terms of this sort of in-between cultural identity. I really want to create a platform to more specifically understand and appreciate the heritage that our Chinese Vietnamese refugee families and thousands others have brought to Canada and North America. I would love to champion a space where we can feel more seen, united, and understood, and where we can share these important stories and conversations to help preserve and further strengthen our heritage. 
I hope that if you are of Chinese Vietnamese heritage like myself and my family, that this has resonated with you. And that even if perhaps you're not specifically of Chinese Vietnamese heritage, but maybe in your own sort of cultural in-between, that it encourages you to get more curious about your own roots. One thing I'm sure of though is that finding communities and groups of similar cultural backgrounds and experiences can feel so encouraging and that representation in our Western society is so impactful and powerful. For us 1.5 plus generation Asians, I think there's so much value in really working towards owning our cultural identities and being proud of where we come from. So in closing, if you or your family are Vietnamese or Chinese Vietnamese refugees observing Journey to Freedom Day, Black April, or Reunification Day, however you may feel about it, I wish you a day of peaceful gratitude and important recognition. And to everybody, I hope that you will take some time this coming May for Asian Heritage Month to learn more about any aspect of Asian heritage you may be interested in. I would love to hear your thoughts, stories, and experiences, so be sure to head to holdingheritage.com share to let me know. The next episode will be out next week on Mother's Day. I'll be introducing you to my amazing mom and we'll let you into some of her stories, so be sure to tune in. Thank you so much for listening, and I will meet you back here very, very soon. Bye! Intro and outro music by Blue Wednesday Beats. And Holding Heritage is proudly created, produced, and geographically based on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Tsleil-Waututh and Comox nations of the Coast Salish peoples.